fringe. So much to happen, so much to do. And also, those who love their garden will want to get out in the garden. Beautiful weather at the moment. It is. And it's stunning this weekend. A few showers, not much in it, but for the coming week. Yes, I don't think we'll get very, very wet. And certainly from a gardening point of view, don't put away your hoses just yet. In fact, uh, how long will we have to wait before we... Uh, can put the hoses away. It's very dry. I think it's over 14 weeks now since we've had uh, more than 10 millimetres. I think we've had two lots of of, of 10 millimetres or more. In other words, a significant rain twice in in, that's 14 weeks, which is uh, pretty dry out there. It sure is. Certainly. So um, the weather is very, very important for many gardeners and uh, to help us understand what's going on and what lies ahead, it's the first Saturday of the month. And so we talked to Darren Ray, who's independent consulting climatologist. He'll give us his outlook for the next three months. Some of the important issues, of course, is when will it rain and when it does rain, how much are we going to get? And probably for those that want to put their vegetables and things like that in the garden early in March, are we in for any more hot weather? Darren Ray will have answers to both of those, and I think he's got some interesting comments on uh, the conflict between El Nino and La Nino. One's a hot, dry, and the other one's a wet, cool. And uh, who is going to, what's going to happen in the mm. next 12 months, I think, is pretty critical. We're going to also talk a little bit about why you should get out there and plant your vegetables early in autumn. Even right right this weekend would be brilliant. If you do, the crops that you grow, your cauliflowers and broccoli and cabbages and things like that, put them in early in autumn. They'll be twice as big and twice as productive and probably taste twice as good as those you put in in May. Stephen Hoffner, uh, Stephen Hoffner will be our guest. He's from Wagtail Urban Farm. And I describe Stephen as uh, an edible garden specialist. Now, has it got anything to do with soil temperatures, John? Could be. <laughs> You've been listening, Deb. I do. I think I've, I've, I've developed some ideas just through osmosis of sitting across from you every well, week. John. Well, let's get that out of the way. Soil temperatures at the moment are delicious from a gardening point of view. They're between 20 and 21 degrees, both at Walkerville and Gawler. And uh, I think we are going to be in for a very interesting autumn. Wow. Okay, so you've had it right here. Nice soil temperatures at the moment. Uh, I have got two magazines to give away, uh, Gardening Australia ABC magazines, and on the front cover, the team is back for Gardening Australia, our own Sophie Thompson featuring on the front cover of that, so stay tuned for that after 9 o'clock this morning. And I always remind you that if you're in the garden, you can listen to us. Um, If you download the ABC Listen app, it's bright pink, you'll find it on your smartphone. You may ABC Radio Adelaide, your favourite. Um, and of course, you can listen at home on Channel 25 as well. But what you might not know is it's very easy to call or text through via the app. If you have us as your favourite, it's got a button at the bottom. If you want to set, ring in and ask John some gardening advice, you just press the button and bang, you're straight through to us. How about that? Yep. So I tap the app <laughs> and you can speak to John. And that's what I'd like you to do right now. So either tap your app um, and call through. 
or ring on your phone on one three hundred triple two eight nine one. Lots of lines free. John here, ready to give you advice for your gardening this weekend. Um, and after ten o'clock this morning, we're going to be talking about Andy Warhol, one of the most influential artists of the twentieth century. There's a new uh, exhibition underway, and I'd love to know what your favourite Andy Warhol work is. But right now, we want your gardening questions. One three hundred triple two eight nine one. Call in now. The weather in Adelaide today: perfect. Gardening weather, sunny and 28 degrees, 27 degrees in Glenelg and Norlunga, 29 degrees in Mount Barker and 30 degrees in Elizabeth. Light winds becoming west to southwesterly, 15 to 25 kilometres per hour in the middle of the day and then becoming light in the evening. Around the state, possible morning fog about the agricultural area and far west, dry and warm to hot with generally light winds, moderate afternoon coastal sea breezes and in Broken Hill today, sunny and 33 degrees. So call in now to ask John your gardening questions. The number again, one three hundred triple two eight nine one. Just remember, John likes to discuss your problem with you. So don't text your questions. We love your comments by the text line. Um, but te- if you'd like to make a comment, your text line number is zero four six seven nine double two eight nine one. Just remember, John's advice is of a general nature and shouldn't be taken as personal professional advice. <laughs> This is Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide. And while we're waiting for those calls to come in, one three hundred triple two eight nine one. Love to hear from it. Someone's asking about the functionality of our text line. Does it take photographs? No, it doesn't still. However, we've got a new system in place and I've been reliably informed this week by our management that at some stage we will be able to get photographs and for that for us John that means we might be able to run a gardening competition but uh We'll have to put our thinking caps on thinking, about that. Uh, talking of uh, those kind of things, uh, from a gardening point of view, I hope people, uh, those of you who grow uh, tomatoes, are keeping good records because uh, in a couple of weeks' time we'll be launching our end of uh, gardening season or summer season of our tomato survey. Mm. So uh, uh, I think that will provide a lot of valuable information. It sure will. Well, let's head to Summerton Park where Jim's going to get us up and running this morning. Jim, you'd like to know when to plant your camellia seeds? Yes, please. Tell us about it there, Jim. Pardon? Yes. Uh, you've got some seeds. When did they... Uh, I presume you, you got them from your own camellia trees and uh, you've yes, collected the yes. seeds? Uh, the, the previous ones have been fertile because we've got three plants come up under the original parent. It's fascinating what happens when you plant camellia seeds. You have a, a lovely a big camellia and you put the seed in and it comes out as a very, very different flower to the original. But sometimes you get a, a real winner there. So the answer to your question, of course, Jim, is to wait until springtime. Uh, you'll find that uh, if you wanted to put them in the crisper section of your fridge and that just chills them a little bit. So when you bring them out of the fridge, uh, they're sort of sparked up and ready to go. Put them into just good uh, seed raising mix and uh, keep them uh, out of full sun but uh, and keep the soil just moist but not soggy wet and you'll find that they'll take quite some time to germinate. It may be towards the end of uh, spring 
before we actually do see uh, or you see the uh, uh, seedlings starting to sort of send leaves out through the, the potting mix and then uh, they'll grow very, very, very slowly. Um, so what are you going to do with them, Jim? Well, I don't know. The The parent plant's over 50 years old. Yes. <clears throat> The important thing is uh, you need to be very, very patient because, okay, so you get the uh, seedlings established in the first year, but then you've got to wait another two or three or even longer before you get the first flowers to know what you're going to get out of it. Of course, it's one of the reasons why camellia plants, when you buy them from a Mm. garden centre, because they grow so slowly, uh, you uh, uh, you have uh, to pay quite a, a high price for them. And, of course, you don't get lots of new camellias simply because of the, the fact that uh, uh, the seeds take a long time mm. to germinate and if you're cross-pollinating and things like that it's a, it's a long time but uh, well so Jim will need patience <laughs> <laughs> thanks very much for the call Jim Michael is at Lockley's uh, with a rhubarb question hello Michael good morning Deb and John um, my question is uh, I'm going to be able to have access to some rhubarb plants I'm not sure what state of growth they're in uh, but they're they're being uprooted and thrown away basically is it a good time to dig them up now and be able to replant them and how should i go about replanting them springtime would be a better time but autumn is probably the second best time so you'll probably find that they're being uprooted they've got their leaves on try and get the leaves off them as quickly as you possibly can because while the leaves are attached to the root system, they're sucking moisture out and what you want is a nice turgid uh, little root system to be able to establish in the ground. So off with the leaves and then at this stage uh, you're going to put them into the ground or into a pot? Yes, I'd like to put them in the ground. Right. Well, spend some time now uh, this weekend preparing the ground and the important thing with rhubarb is perfect drainage. They hate wet feet. Um, if you've got heavy soils, clay kind of soils, suggest that you make a mound that's probably a square metre uh, of a raised area, and that raised area could be about 15 centimetres higher than the rest of the ground, and mix with uh, that some good quality compost with your existing soil. Uh, plant your uh, little tubers into that, And depending on the weather, I'd be prepared to uh, put some shade over them. What you don't want is even when you get a day with temperatures about 30 degrees shining onto that little tuber because you plant them fairly close to the surface and they'll dry out. So put some shade cloth over them or if you've got nothing else, you can just get an old cardboard box and stick it over them on a hot day or on a warm day. But the important thing is protect it and you'll find that probably by the end of autumn, if you do the... the, uh, take that uh, task now if, if you by the end of autumn you should have little uh, leave, new leaves becoming established now i've just acquired some sheep and cow manure uh, for another part of the garden bed uh, could i use that as a, a soil conditioner uh, don't go oh, the sheep would be okay or even the cow manure but the important thing is it needs to be aged and probably yes, in, when you're uh, mixing that with the soil no more than about 20% by volume of the volume of whichever of those uh, nutrients you're going to use. That's fantastic. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Michael, for calling in. Nice to hear from you. Helen is in McGill um, with a tomato question, and you want to save your tomatoes there, Helen. Yes, that's right. Yes. My tomatoes, 
particularly pink tomatoes are eat, eaten by bugs. We don't know how to prevent them. Do you know what variety that you planted when you you, you established them? Um, oh, um, I'm not sure. Part of them is cherry tomatoes, that's yellow color, and the larger tomatoes, the red color. I don't know. Right. So you bought them from a garden centre or in seedling? I bought it from a, an, uh, yes, Aldi, I think. <laughs> Okay, right. Well, just be aware. <laughs> not a garden centre. <laughs> not a garden centre. It doesn't matter. Though in springtime, everybody tries to hop onto the the, the bandwagon. It annoys the garden centres no end. They are there twelve months of the year providing service, and along come the supermarkets and say, "All oh, right, oh, people are interested in planting tomato seedlings. We'll sell some." And by the time that they get rid of the last of them, they often look rather sad. Which is it's just it's not the, it's not good practice, I guess. Anyway, we'll come back to your problem there, Helen. Um, oh. I think if you bought it from uh, one of those kind of stores, it's likely that the varieties will be what they call hybrids, which means that they've had to uh, cross two different types of tomatoes to get the, yeah. uh, the one that you're, uh, you planted and you probably enjoyed. If you put the seeds of those in, they may not be and probably will not be like the ones that you were eating but they'll come up as tomatoes, and in particular the cherry tomato, they're more likely to be sort of uh, true to type. So I'd say uh, uh, put your money and grow lots of the cherry tomatoes. Now, in keeping the seeds, uh, leave the tomatoes on the plants as long as you possibly can, and when they're soft, take them inside, and then uh, what you need to do is is squash them. (laughs) And uh, once they're squashed, Uh, mix them up with water and what you need to do is separate the seeds from the flesh and uh, get some blotting paper or some uh, paper paper towels and uh, put the seeds in between uh, uh, some uh, of the towels and dry them out and then uh, keep them very very dry put them in a paper bag and in I put a label on them, of course, <laughs> so you know that they're tomatoes and which ones you've got, and then plant them probably very early in springtime, and you're up and away. Okay, thank you. Thanks for the call, Helen. Our number is 1300 Roger is in Enfield. Now, your grapevines aren't fruiting, Roger. No, we've had them probably about five or six years, and... Um um, one's a Moscato and one's a ladyfinger and they're prolific with leaves and look lovely and wonderful and are lush but we just don't, we've only ever had one crop of fruit in the first year and that's it. Oh, you'd be complaining, obviously. Um, so <laughs> are you pruning them yourself or how are you pruning well, them? We've had a professional gardener prune them, we've pruned them ourselves, we've gone hard then we've gone soft and... Mm. Every year grows back really, really well, but we're just not getting fruit. So they're coming into lots of growth? Yeah, um, absolutely. So in springtime, are they producing any little flowers? You'll see these little sort of buds come out little and uh, a tiny little uh, uh, little fruitlets on them. Does it actually, and they, they, that's actually the flower coming, and then they drop their little uh, heads or, or the, the little lids off the flowers, and it makes a bit of a mess, and then... Uh, from behind that, the fruit start to set. So are you seeing any of that flowering and fruiting at all? No, not at all. Um, and we have, we've got chickens, and we thought at first they were attacking it, but no. Um, 
Um, and then we looked for like rats or mice or something like that. But no, we just don't seem to have that happening at all. All right, so there's nothing years. taking and pinching or destroying the flowers. It's just you're not no. getting flowers. My only sensible answer I can give the, to that is it's probably growing and it's too vigorous. Are you uh, feeding it a lot or giving it lots of organic matter maybe, animal manures, lots of we water? Don't even, we don't even water them <laughs> and they're just going nuts <laughs> with leaves. Um, and it looks like the day of the triffids out there, really, sometimes, you know. It's just so you're getting lots of very vigorous growth. Yeah, yeah. That's the yeah, important thing. Right, yeah. well, it comes down to hormones. If you've got a plant which are growing very vigorously, they have hormones for vigour, and you've got to slow it down. Though what's causing the uh, uh, vigour is a thing that uh, fascinates me. Now, the other thing I just need to check on is sunlight. Is it getting full sun or is it in shade? Uh, one of them is down the side of our house, so it gets partial shade throughout the day. The other one gets full sun. Yes. Well, um, the combination of moisture, nutrients and sunlight uh, should be a winner for grapes. <laughs> They're pretty. Mm. Uh, so I can only think the, the logical thing is it's, it's growing too vigorously. Somehow sure. you've either got lots of, uh, you've got good soil, you've got too many nutrients in the soil, you're watering too often. Um, I don't think I can give you any better advice than, than that. You need to sort of nut it out and say, you know, do I need to back off on fertilisers? Do I need to sort of water more infrequently but deeply? Um, and uh, I think probably slowing the vine down. So uh, in springtime, next springtime, if you haven't got uh, lots of uh, fruit, then maybe giving it uh, not a short back and sides, but go over all the main leaders and take probably 20 or 30 centimetres out of the leaders and just make the plant send out more growth, more branches or more sort of uh, laterals and, and, and see if you can't slow it down. Fantastic. Thank you for that. Thanks, Roger, for the call. We've got a few lines free if you'd like to get through before 9 o'clock to John on 1300 891. If you'd like to go and see something of a gardening nature today, the Begonia and Fern Autumn Show is on today at the Clemsig Community Hall. That's 242 North East Road. It starts at 10, runs through until 3 o'clock this afternoon, $4 admission, and there is morning and afternoon tea available. Of course, we spoke about that last week with Val Hendy. Val Hendy, yes, and the focus of course with this particular show is cane begonias and for those that are starting to collect cane begonias uh, there'll be a wonderful uh, number of plants available for sale and usually there's a queue to start off with <laughs> people wanting to uh, get the, the best choices but uh, yeah, it's a wonderful show and the same thing that happens with the ferns and a lot of people now are realising that ferns will grow in the shade mm. and they love the shade and in fact if you don't have any sunlight at all ferns are absolutely ideal and you'll find that you can buy ferns from the show uh, where you can't normally get those particular varieties from garden centres and of course get the advice from the members standing right there absolutely that's the thing yes. <laughs> uh, also the national trust um, south australia burnside branch state heritage listed beaumont house and garden will be open again tomorrow commemorating the 205th birthday of sir samuel davenport a colonial politician and horticulturalist who pioneered the olive oil wine, perfume and silk industries here in 1851. There you go. House tours cost $15. You get afternoon tea and scones and a view across the gardens. That is at the top of Glenburn Road. And if you would like your gardening notice to be read out, don't forget to send it in.
get in to us at Adelaide Weekends at abc.net.au. I share it with John. He'll put it in his Good Gardening newsletter, which will also land in your inbox of a Friday morning. So send that in. Call through now if you'd like to speak to John on 1300 222 891. It's 10 to 9. Summertime is the time to stream happiness. You need a laugh. With comedy galore on ABC iView. Really? Let me show you. Brand new laughs like Will Logical and Summer Love. And then I got a little funny. <laughs> and returning favourites like Frayed, Aftertaste and Fisk and so much more. I'm loving them. <laughs> Stream comedy happiness for free. Last one. All summer long on ABC iView. Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide. Now, garlic, John, there is always a big debate. Yes. When to plant garlic? Plant your garlic early in autumn. If you do that, you'll have lovely, big, fat, plump cloves when you come to harvest them round about Christmas time. And let's just take a look at the garlic plant. Uh, you can plant them. Uh, there's a bit of a renaissance going on at the moment. I think it's something to do with the TV programs have stimulated people to grow your own garlic, certainly much better than the material that comes in from overseas. Exactly. Plastered with all kinds of nasty chemicals to get it through quarantine. So you can't beat your own homegrown garlic. Look at a little plump. You, you start off with a little clove, a tiny little clove, and stick it in the ground. And you don't. Uh, you only just bury it in in the ground, but it sends out a little root system, a tiny little tuft of roots, probably not more than a couple of centimetres of root system, and it's got then got to be able to send up its leaves, and garlic leaves, usually there's not many of them, and they're small, and uh, that's got to then develop and grow during winter when it's cold, and develop a root system and leaves. Now, there's a very strong correlation between the number of leaves that you've got and the size of the leaves and the size of your cloves at the end of the season. And the thing is, you've, to grow lots of leaves and large leaves, you need a large root system. And we go back to the fact that you've only got a tiny little root system. Now, if you plant early, you've got more chance of getting a nice root system underneath your cloves and if you can do that, so you've got uh, lots of leaves by the end of winter, so you need to start now. Put the, the cloves in the ground now, and the next couple of weeks, while the ground's nice and warm, it starts to grow, sends out lots of roots, longer roots than if you waited until May. And then uh, if you do that, uh, it, the, the, the garlic just keeps on growing, and by the end of uh, springtime and into summer, when uh, it's time to harvest, you end up with a much bigger bulbs and more cloves, and bigger, plumper cloves. More bang for your buck, Absolutely. early autumn. But okay. you've got to get the garlic in early. And I'd say, you mightn't be ready to do it this weekend, but certainly by the end of March, the ground will be, uh, it'll drop by about four degrees between mm. now and then. So if it's 20 now, it'll only be 16 there. And then by the end of May, it'll be around about 14 and uh, you won't get much growth out of your garlic then. Okay. Uh, just before we speak to Jan, um, on the issue of the um, grape vine, yes. uh, got a few texts on it. This one says, I wonder if the grape vine should be pruned rod and spur. 
Uh, now, if they're uh, seeding, seed, there are, I presume there are seeded grapes. Uh, the only ones that you rod and spur are probably uh, uh, your sultanas and, and things that uh, don't have seeds. Uh, if you just cut back to the the last biggest fat grub, uh, bud, uh, it, you'll find that uh, if it's going to fruit, it will fruit. Okay, well, Jesse and Mitchum says sultanas need at least six buds to be left on branches for fruiting. That's right, yes. So maybe leave a couple of branches on each vine, unprude and tip prune the wild stuff. Um, and Teddy on KI says um, current set um, is a hormone to set the fruit grape. Is, so that must be a product, I imagine, current uh, set. Yes, that's once flowered. Uh, sometimes uh, you've got the flowers and they don't set. You can put on a hormone to sort of make them set. But <laughs> in uh, this particular situation, we didn't have uh, the flowers. any flowers no. at all. Uh, Jan is in the Onkaparinga Hills. Now, you'd like to trim your mandarin tree, Jan. Yes. Good morning, Deb and John. I've got a young mandarin tree in a pot. It's couple of years old uh, but it's been growing rather vigorously which I've been happy about and it's sort of shooting out on the sides but is this an okay time to trim it and there's also a split in the pot which it's managing well but at some point I'm going to need to transplant it all right. So but, what are your thoughts, John? Well, we need to take a look at what you mean by trim. Are you trimming just to sort oh. of uh, get more little, uh, slow it down and, and get more little branches or are you wanting to reshape uh, it? Um. Your first one, really. I just wanted to trim the shoots that are shooting on the sides just to bring it back into a, a bit more of a bush, All right. So long as you're not cutting the, the branches back because if you cut your branches back, you'll get strong growth and right. it, the growth will uh, be uh, at its main length when we hit winter and it, it'll be affected by the cold weather. But if you're going to just okay. trim it, do it now. Uh, right. I'm presuming that your plant is growing uh, a fair amount of vigour in the plant at the moment. And just trim it all over. Yeah. The more you trim I, it, uh, the more uh, shorter branches you'll get and uh, the more shorter branches you've got, the more potential for flowers and fruit. Okay, okay. it's got two fruits growing on it which is the first time, so... <laughs> <laughs> Great excitement. Yeah, okay, yes. watch them, and uh, hopefully they get to maturity, and uh, then uh, you can enjoy them. Uh, okay. Deb, just so, uh, so on the moment, uh, the fact thanks, that uh, the soil is, is so dry, many people have got navel oranges, and navel oranges will be uh, ripening. Uh, they'll be sizing up, and then they'll be ripening uh, during uh, uh, later in autumn and early winter. But the thing is, the soil is now very, very dry. And what will happen is uh, just as the uh, navel oranges are starting to sort of size up and, and grow in size towards maturity, uh, if you get a heavy rainfall, they'll split. And there's nothing worse than losing a half your crop because all the navel oranges are split open. They go from dry to wet too quickly. It's important that you keep your navel oranges in particular, but all citrus should be kept moist at this time of the year. And that will, if you keep it moist, don't overwater. Uh, don't give it a quick fix if it's very, very dry. Just put in a little bit of water this weekend and a little bit more next weekend. But to keep that soil moist, to avoid the, so the uh, fruit from splitting open. Thanks, John. And just on garlic, we're getting a few questions on the text line, John. Anne says, what's the best location for garlic to be planted? Oh, absolutely full sun. And that's if you're putting your garlic in in full sun um, and the soil is wet, 
and it gets too hot, then uh, they'll rot. But I think Darren Ray is going to tell us we've got ideal garlic growing weather. And incidentally, next week's new Good Gardening newsletter, there'll be a special feature on establishing and growing good garlic. So uh, uh, that'll be a feature story in, in next week's newsletter. All good. So maybe hold off this weekend and get all the, the uh, good news from that. Anna from McGill and Helen from Collins would both want to know what's the best way to prepare the soil before planting garlic? Oh, the important thing is loosen it probably to at least 20 centimetres and put in some aged animal manure, uh, cow manure maybe, but don't go putting in chicken manure and probably if you wanted to put in a little bit of compost, good quality compost, Uh, 20-25% by volume, uh, I think that would be Mm. important. Garlic needs well-drained soil, so make sure that uh, if you've got heavy soil, you grow your garlic on a raised bed. Raised garden beds are brilliant for growing garlic. Okay, and just finally, um, you might have answered the question just then, Jules, Champagne Jules from Stirling North wants to know if he can grow garlic in a pot. And Absol- what the best soil Absolutely, mix yes. Be. Yeah, and squat pots are better than deep pots. So you want something that maybe is 30 centimetres wide and probably only about uh, 30 centimetres deep. And you can put two or three bulbs in there. You can put them fairly close together. But uh, I think, uh, it, and when you're putting uh, your soil together, make sure you get a, a fertiliser which is specifically for fruit and vegetables. And don't overdo it. Stick to the directions. If you put on too much in a container, you'll run into problems. Okay. That's your garlic masterclass right there from John. And look forward to the Good Gardening newsletter next week with more information. Coming up to the 9 o'clock news at the moment. After 9, of course, we'll have the autumn seasonal outlook from uh, independent climatologist Darren Ray, which will be very exciting indeed. And our edible garden specialist, uh, Stephen Hopfner, um, on the, the big benefits of planting your winter and spring maturing vegetables early in autumn so not just the garlic john yes it's all about timing and in particular with vegetables which ones are the best ones to grow right now wonderful so stay tuned and john of course will answer your questions the number to call 1300 222 ABC News with Evelyn Leckie. Good morning. Australia, the United States, India and Japan have vowed to step up cooperation. The country's foreign ministers have held a meeting of the Quad, grouping on the sidelines of the G20 summit in India. They've agreed to increase information sharing and strengthen maritime engagement. Australian Foreign Minister Penny Wong says the Quad is increasingly concerned about China's influence in the region. We reaffirmed our commitment to a free and open Indo-Pacific uh, reiterated our conviction that the Quad can be a force for regional and global good uh, and is to be guided by the priorities of the region. 
The Greens will push to tighten the federal government's bid to wind back tax concessions on superannuation balances over $3 million. The party says the concessions should instead be scrapped for all balances over $1.9 million. The government wants to legislate its plan to double the tax rate on super accounts above $3 million from 15 to 30%. Greens' economic spokesman, Senator Nick McKim, says that's just fiddling at the margins. The reason we've got such an enormous amount of debt is because Labor is proceeding with a quarter of a trillion dollars of tax cuts. That proposal still only impacts on the top 1% of superannuation funds. It's a fair proposal. Overseas, a renowned US lawyer has been sentenced to life in prison for murdering his wife and son in 2021. Alec Murdoch had practised as an attorney in the South in South Carolina before his two family members were found shot dead on their property. The case gained a high public profile in the US and abroad after it was revealed Murdoch had stolen money from his firm and clients to fuel his opioid addiction. Judge Clifton Newman says Murdoch lied right through, through the trial as he repeated professed his innocence. It was especially heartbreaking for me to see you go in the media from being a, a grieving father who lost a wife and a son to being the person indicted and convicted of killing them. Back home, a new study has found women hold more higher education debt than men and argues that's exacerbated gender income inequalities. The research by the Melbourne Centre for the Study of Higher Education also shows a 2019 move to make mandatory hex help debt repayments kick in at lower incomes disproportionately affects women. A government-funded review of higher education is underway. Wollongong single mum Karen McKinnon says she still has thousands of dollars in debt and repayments impact her disposable income. Sometimes it does make you wonder, look, is it worth working full-time? You know, should I just take part-time hours, stay under the radar, stay under that threshold and have a better quality of living because your income isn't as affected? Police are urging motorists to remain vigilant after two fatal crashes in South Australia. A 23-year-old man died after crashing his motorcycle into several vehicles at Theberton yesterday morning. In a separate incident on the state's Air Peninsula, a motorcyclist collided into a car near Wyala yesterday afternoon. A 66-year-old Barmer man died at the scene. Senior Constable Kate Dawson says there's been 28 lives lost on the state's roads this year. Motorcyclists are extra vulnerable and they rarely get second chances in the event of a crash. So, yeah, just urging drivers and riders to stay alert and just fully concentrate on the task of driving or riding and nothing else. An Adelaide GP is hopeful tuberculosis cases emerging in the state's remote APY lands will be treatable. Health officials have declared an outbreak of the rare infectious disease with about 10 people diagnosed so far. Multiple health networks are banding together to carry out testing, contact tracing and treatment for those affected. Dr Rod Pierce says raising awareness will be an important step in keeping numbers down. It's probably spread already and the contact from coughing and contact probably has already happened. So the important thing is to establish how many people got it and then to put in measures to alert people how it can be spread and what we need to do to actually contain the spread. 
to support Novak Djokovic's 20-match winning streak has come to an end with Daniil Medvedev making his way to the Dubai Championship final. Medvedev won in straight sets 6-4, 6-4. To South Australia's weather, Port Lincoln 26 today, Port Pirie 33, Renmark 33, Mount Gambier 26. Adelaide's a top of 28 today. It's currently about 18.7 degrees in the city. Tomorrow, 29 degrees. ABC News. Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Good morning and welcome to Talkback Gardening on the first weekend of autumn. Good morning, John Lamb. Good morning, Deb. Good morning, gardeners. And good morning, festival and fringe <laughs> goers. Wonderful weather. Great start to autumn. It sure is. It's such a gorgeous weekend we have got here. And we're going to be talking about um, planting winter and spring vegetables yes, in autumn. Yes, Stephen Hoffner, I'd refer to Stephen as an edible garden specialist. He helps people set up their gardens. He goes lectures to community gardens and he runs his own little wagtail urban farm. But he joins the program every now and then. He's got very sound advice on growing vegetables. And the point I think we need to focus on this morning, Deb, is if you plant now, early in autumn, you get much bigger and better vegetables than if you wait until the end of autumn, which many people do. And Stephen will also take a look at the kind of vegetables that, if you grow, they're easy and very rewarding. Mm, Yum, I'm looking forward to that conversation. I have a couple of magazines to give away, ABC Gardening Australia magazines to give away. I'm looking at the front cover right now and the whole team of Gardening Australia, which you can catch on ABC TV and on iView, is on the front page. There's Costa and sitting next to Costa is our very own Sophie Thompson. So stay tuned for those a little bit later in the program. But we'd love your calls, of course. one 391 Jump in the queue for our general talk back gardening. And that's after we speak to our very special guest who always joins us the first Saturday of the month. And that is Darren Ray, independent climatologist. Um, Darren Ray, good morning to you. Yeah, good morning. And yes, it is a beautiful weekend out there for gardening that, uh, yeah, we've got ahead of us. It's very important at this time of the year because uh, to, to understand what's happening with the weather, Darren, I don't need to tell you that simply because uh, March is that wonderful time where the ground is warm, but if you plant your veggies and you get a sudden burst of heat, oh, we don't want that. And then uh, people, are the gardeners, uh, experienced gardeners, are aware that uh, it's very, very dry, a long time since we've had a, a good rain. So they want to know when's it going to rain and how much. So they the kind of things we'll focus on. But before we get on to that one, I suppose I'd just like to go back and say there was summer. Now, summer, was uh, we were under a La Nina uh, when it's supposed to be cooler and it's supposed to be dry, uh, uh, wetter. But actually, if you look at the stats, uh, the temperature in Adelaide was just slightly above average. And certainly uh, in terms of rainfall, it wasn't wetter. It was very much drier. Is there a sound and sensible explanation? Yeah, it's a it's a great question, John. I mean, it's um, it points to the uh, you know basically the influence of climate change. So we've got you know the longer term trends towards warmer and drier conditions, based basically uh, balancing out a, a bit against the year to year variability that the linear linear influence introduces. So what would have 
what would have would have been a, a milder and quite, you know I think you, 30 40 years ago would have been a much milder um, and a bit wetter summer as um, yeah was has been actually very average a little bit above average as you mentioned for temperatures and um, and perhaps a little bit drier than we might have expected so competing influences in there so that's and that's yes. where you, have to, you know trying to understand what's going on you yes well really we can take, sort take of take both yeah, of those I, into account. And I think that a climate change is going to influence a lot of uh, uh, the weather situations and I just wonder what it's going to do to averages. We're going to have to rewrite the averages book. But let's now focus on the weather right now, Darren. Uh, we've got lovely, glorious uh, autumn weather at the moment and uh, we're not too sure how long it will last and what's going to happen over the next three months. So uh, perhaps a little summary of where we are at the moment, in, particularly in terms of, of the uh, weather systems that are going to influence over the next uh, uh, three months? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> just in terms of the background, we've been talking about the La Nina influence and that goes back to neutral um, during this time of the year. So they tend to start off during late winter, spring and then peak in December and then go back to neutral um, right, right as we go into autumn. And um, that's exactly what we're seeing in the ocean temperatures. So um, to, you know those uh, ocean temperature patterns are moving moving back to neutral, and there's even a, a plume of warm water in the over near the Americas emerging, which is um, signalling the possibility of El Nino emerging later this year. So, um, yeah, so very back to very back to very neutral influences in terms of what's happening um, in, for the background conditions impacting Australia at the moment, um, and uh, yeah, the. And in terms, so on the shorter time frame, um, we had a little bit of tropical activity move through over, you know, just this over the last sort of week or so, but very weak. And and I guess in terms of looking ahead through the next few weeks, um, uh, the there's there's not particularly much in the way of any particular tropical activity going on. So it's all a bit, bit suppressed. It's tending to be hanging out in the Pacific Ocean, which means it tends to suppress things a little bit over Australia while it does that. So if we start looking at March, for instance, John, um, <clears throat> it's not looking like there's much rainfall around and we'll just get get quite a bit of this sort of clear, butte autumnal conditions that we're, we're seeing at the moment, which are perfect for gardening. What's the likelihood um, of a heat? heat sorry, uh, I, yeah. I need to yeah, sorry. pop in there because there would be a lot yeah. of people say, sometimes in March we can get a, a, a little <coughs> heat burst. Uh, what's the likelihood? Yeah, and we've had some crackers. I mean, I'm sure those people would remember that. I think it was 15 days in a row of 35 degrees. Well, good news is we're not seeing anything like that showing up. So um, it's looking. Uh, so we've got a, we've got a bit of a, a bit of a mass of cold air which is going to swirl around, move up over us from from the from Sunday night through most most of next week. So that'll keep things really quite mild. Um, and it's going to stay in that sort of um, low to mid, mid, uh, low, well, in the twenties, basically, um, right through the rest, most of the rest of March. A little bit of a spike, I think, for a few days up into the sort of low, perhaps mid thirties for one or one or two days, maybe. But um, you know, so the great news is um, lots and lots of days like we're seeing um, at the moment, and you know, and a few a bit, bit milder and a few a bit warmer. But yeah, beautiful gardening weather, John. Yes. There's not a lot of rain. You forecast that a couple of months ago, saying we could be in for an Indian summer, and here it is, it's happening. Uh, just coming back to the rain, I mean, it's dry, it's very dry. Um, when? What's our best bet for rain during March? Yeah, um, I mean, looking ahead in the models, and the, you know, they had the tropical activities shaping up. Um, there's a little bit of a possibility sort of around about the 20th or so of March, but um, it's not heaps in it. 
and then it looks like it reforms right at the end of March or early April. So that's um, if we if we go into April, it does look like the first two weeks of April have got a bit a bit of an increased chance of rain um, compared to the second two weeks. Um, but uh, in terms of a little bit more tropical activity around. Um, but once again, I, I guess the message, John, overall, this, um, you know, we, we've had a few dry first six months of the year for the last few years, and this this year is looking very much like a bit of a rinse and repeat. Um, it's looking very similar to last year and the year before, so dry, a bit warmer than average, um, very pleasant conditions, but not, not heaps of rain around. All right, so April, uh, first couple of weeks, there could be some moisture coming through then, presumably not enough to make a, a break in the season. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, there's there's a little bit of a chance in those first two weeks, but it, it doesn't look particularly strong, and the rainfall totals in all the modelling uh, modeling is pretty low. So um, it does, yeah, it does look like in, so, um, you know, May looks very, very similar, a little bit warmer than average, drier than average, um, and, um, you know, the rainfall appears in the third week of May in the modelling. So okay, that's yeah, interesting I, because so, it was last year. It was very, very dry, as you say, uh, a very, very similar in terms of weather, uh, rainfall, and 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 temperatures. And it wasn't until the right towards the end of May, uh, I, I, if I memory is correct, uh, we received a, a, a twenty or so millimeters of rain, which was the beginning of the break. So, um, might that be the time we could expect the break? Yeah, I think you're spot on, John. It does look very similar to that. So, yeah, a bit, bit of a later break for, for the farmers and, you know, people out there looking um, looking for for uh, that switch into winter conditions. So it does look like it'll hold off uh, again this year. So, so yeah, I mean, you know, lovely guiding weather. As, as you mentioned, John, um, still plenty of time to get in get in a late crop and, um, you know, a, bit, a little bit Indian summer-like summer conditions. Um, it's, I guess, the contrast um, with this year with last year so very similar first half the big question is um i touched on the possibility of el nino is what happens in the second half and and that's um so yeah that's that's really the, the big difference between this year and last year i think so would you care to take a look at the second half of the year particularly in terms of rainfall yeah so on the so on the el nino likelihood um so once so I mentioned last time, there's still a bit of a mixed picture in the modelling in, in, in the sense that all of them are heading towards El Nino conditions. So they're all warming up in the, um, in the eastern, central and eastern Pacific and um, as we go through autumn and into winter. Um, but there's about half of the models are, are quite bullish about it and the others are a little bit more ambivalent. So there's a little bit of a mixed picture about how well, how strongly it will move in that direction. But it's quite clearly indicating, you know, heading in that sort of direction. There's also some hints of the um, the opposite phase of the Indian Ocean dipole influence that we had to last year. Then the positive phase uh, might might kick in um, as we go through winter as well. So that's that's the combination where we typically get hot and dry springs and summer conditions. And so you know we're facing the possibility that so you know very pleasant first six months of the year, but on the dry side. Um, but then a very different second half of the year to the last few years. And um, yeah, we're heading heading in the direction of hotter and drier conditions, and so yeah, oh, that's a bit, a bit frightening. Picture. I mean, uh, it was last year uh, uh, <coughs> we had uh, uh, fortunately uh, late 
winter and early spring with those rains which set the scene for the coming season, you're saying that's not going to help. It's less likely to happen this year. Could we end up with one of those years where uh, uh, the each month is consistently below average in terms of rainfall? That's and that's certainly what that's certainly the when I you know, ran the figures out of the models. Um, yeah, you know, basically every month in there is, is looking below average. Um, to some degree, and so yeah, it's um, yeah, I, it's going to be a very different year in terms of uh, having developed in terms of rainfall and water availability. Um, but you know, uh, we're we're starting the year with you know average soil moisture levels. Um, it, it if we do end up with that sort of heading in the El Nino direction, but doesn't really go full full ball for it, as about half of the models are suggesting, then. You know, it's it's still going to be a very reasonable year. It just um, but it does set up a, a potentially challenging um, conditions for for late spring and summer in terms of you know bushfire potential and that sort of thing. Yes, and and, and it's just, it's uh, I suppose forewarned is forearmed, and that's the value, of course, of uh, what you present is a three month weather outlook. And uh, you can't promise, you can't make it, but you can at least make us aware of the potential. And I think uh, those that are listening will hear what you're saying is that uh, it looks like we could be in for much drier conditions. And uh, in terms of uh, your gardening, start. Uh, managing the situation and probably in terms of making sure you've got gathering plenty of mulch for the season next year and maybe mulching through winter what are you going to do to increase the amount of uh, moisture that you store are you thinking seriously Mm -hmm. about uh, how are you going to protect your plants your vegetables next summer are you thinking about shade cloth and putting on Mm -hmm. shade cloth and what kind of a structure you might have so i think it's a very valuable uh, uh service that you provide Darren Mm. and Darren on the text line Steph who's been listening in with a coffee to this is picked up some things from your February report says uh, my long range weather forecast record indicated we would have rain on the 24th and 25th uh, February which we did Uh, well done Darren however he didn't say we'd also need to focus on our bushfire plan on the 24th light watering required last night too beautiful in the uh, hours in the garden today so um, we had that day, didn't we? Very alarming day. Yeah, and I, I guess that's one of the things is as we go through winter, you know, pe- particularly people on properties and you know, in areas that are a bit vulnerable to fires, you really want to start thinking through winter and, and early spring about preparing mm. for what could be a challenging season through summer, and late spring and early summer. Exactly. This texter says, warmer than average, we haven't had a hot summer for years, but it's perception, isn't it, often? Yeah, yeah. Well, last three summers have been La Nina summers. So, um, yeah, when we go back to 2019, we had um, some very hot conditions. So, um, yeah, it is surprising how short people's perceptions can be sometimes. But, yeah, it does typically seem to be about three years or so um, in terms of people's memories. And just finally, this texter says, can you please ask, Darren, will the winds stay higher over the next month or Mm. two? Ooh, um, interesting okay. one. Yeah, certainly it has been windy. You go out. I mean, last night I had to go out and make sure I turned off the irrigation systems, and yeah. uh, it almost got blown over. It's uh, surprising. Yeah, uh, it, it probably depends a lot on your location. Um, um, you know, sea breezes. Um, you know, we've had a lot of south. You get a lot of southeasterlies in La Niña's. Um, the high pressure systems tend to be a bit more. The south, and that tends to provoke southeasterly winds, which is good for sea breezes in the coast, and it's also good for gully winds if you're in the foothills. So, 
yeah, there might be perhaps people in those areas that are experiencing a little bit windier conditions than usual, which is, um, yeah, might might see a bit of that through March as well. Weather is certainly a, a conversation a topic for most gardeners and uh, I think many people value your service and, and what you can actually explain to us as to what's going on in terms of the weather systems, Darren. So look forward to talking to you first Saturday of next month. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. Thanks, Deb. Thanks, John. And, uh, yeah, enjoy the weekend. Thank you, Darren. Same to you. We do appreciate your advice to us uh, the first Saturday of every month. Darren Ray, our independent climatologist. Coming to your general talkback gardening calls next, call in and join the queue on 1300 222891. Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe. On ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Lovely to be with you on this autumn weekend. Lots happening uh, around the state at the moment and I'm sure lots happening in your garden too. If you've got a question for John, just call through now on 1300 891. John from Morfitt Vale has. John, you want to plant some seedlings out into a raised garden bed. That's correct. Good morning. Uh, yes, I'm going to add an extra couple of bags of potting mix um, will it be okay to plant the seedlings out straight away into that, or should I wait a while? Oh, no, you can uh, just spread them as mix out when you're spreading it. Uh, make sure it's moist, just moist, but not soggy wet, and then plant your seedlings into that. Just be aware that when the temperatures get to around about 30 degrees, if you've got uh, your seedlings in full sun, they don't have much of a root system when you put them in the ground. And it will take them at least four or five days for the seedling roots to reform and they have to develop new little tips on the end of each of their roots. And it's, it's the, the little tips that do all the feeding and taking in the moisture. And it takes a little while for that, uh, th- those little roots to get re-established. So um, I'm suggesting that if you're planting seedlings, for the first week you shade your seedlings. Because you're planting winter veggies, they need full sun, but just bear in mind uh, if you get the plant stressed soon after you've planted, you've uh, virtually lost the advantage of planting early because they've got to re-establish a root system. Uh, Plant them in, look after the roots, uh, some seaweed material and some of the products that uh, stimulate the soil. No fertiliser but shade. Shade until the first week, uh, until the the root system is nicely established. Well, thank you. I have some 50% shade cloth off put that over and some um, sugarcane mulch Mulch, yes. uh, John, that's a good combination. I think you should be rewarded with very, very healthy and uh, very uh, uh, substantial veggies towards the end of winter and well into spring. Thank you very much. Thank Th- you. Bye-bye. Thanks, John, for calling in. Now, Diane is on the line from Wyala. And, Diane, you've got a fig tree question for John. Yes, good morning. Yes, I've, um, well, we've had this fig fig tree for many years and um, now we've, I've got so many little um, figs on my fig tree and I know it's getting very late for them to mature. Shall I start taking them off the tree? Uh, is the tree in good health? 
Oh, beautiful. Six <laughs> foot high, six foot wide. Yes, well, you might um, be surprised at what happens. Uh, it's a late season. The, the season, yeah. according to the botanists, are uh, probably about three weeks uh, late. But uh, yeah. I think if you've got a, you know, a very large number, certainly if you removed uh, every third one or just space them out so that there's mm-hmm. at least uh, five or six centimetres, uh, maybe more, between the figs, uh, mm-hmm. what will happen is the energy that the uh, a fig tree is able to bring up from the root system will go into fewer fruits, so you'll end up with bigger fruits. Yes, that's beautiful. Thank you very much. That's all I wanted to know. Thanks very much, Diane, for calling in. Charlotte is in Malang. Um, and Charlotte, you have uh, got a garlic question for John. <clears throat> Good morning. Yes, I do. I've got a humongous amount of tomatoes, which you've been doing very, very well and still are. But in a few weeks, garlic's going in. Can I put that... Can I put them in the same bed as the tomatoes? In terms of crop rotation, yeah, no problems at all. Um, no. when, go on. So all my beds have got tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, when you are uh, uh, taking the plants out, uh, just uh, pull them, just dig them up rather than pull them out and have a look at the root system. And depending on which varieties you've got, um, what you need to watch out for is little lumps, tiny little pimple lumps on the root system. That's a nematode. If you're growing lots of tomatoes, particularly in the same area, you'll quickly get a build-up of uh, uh, root, root not nematode, and uh, they can be very debilitating. And probably the best way around that is make sure that if you're going to plant in the same spot next year, you get varieties which are resistant to nematodes, and that should be on the label. But in terms of your point of view, I think it's important that you do look at the root system and not just uh, yourself there, uh, uh, Charlotte. I think uh, anybody that's changing their crops and taking out the old tomatoes and uh, other plants, always take a look at the root system and see how healthy it is. And then uh, with your tomato plants, if they're a little bit spoilt, uh, put them into the waste bin rather than the compost bin because if they've got fungal diseases on that, uh, a lot of the uh, uh, diseases of tomatoes are soil-borne. And so if you put them into the compost, <laughs> there's a likelihood of them being uh, transferred from one season to the next. Put them into the green bin and then they get uh, composted. Uh, and the way they compost uh, material out of the green bins, it, it just destroys all of the diseases and pests and things like that. Thank you very much, Sean. Thanks for calling in, Charlotte. We'd love to hear from you. If you've got a question for John right now on 1300 222891, plenty of lines free this morning if you would like to talk to John. And also don't forget we've got two uh, gardening, ABC Gardening Australia magazines to give away a little bit later in the program and it's lovely to see the whole ABC Gardening Australia team on the front cover, including our very own Sophie Thompson. Anna Lee from Darlington has called in about my favourite plant. You've got a rose question, Anna Lee. Yes, good morning. Um, John, I had the pleasure of meeting you at the lovely Annerley Park Harvest Garden. Yes. And you um, were able to show me from my rose leaf samples that they're lacking iron. And you spoke to me about a foliar spray, but also digging some holes and mixing some iron tea late <laughs> with yes. compost. So my question is, uh, what ratio, please? Right. Because uh, it doesn't say on the packet. It only tells you 
about the foliar spray. Yes, yes, spray on, yes. And the reason why uh, you don't put uh, iron chelates into the ground normally is because uh, uh, you, the fact that you've got yellow leaves is because of the uh, calcium in the soil and that uh, it makes the, the iron unavailable to the plant. So if you put on a spray, it goes straight into the leaves and you get new yeah. leaves and so you've got to keep on, uh, uh, because iron doesn't move around much in the plant, you've got to keep on spraying. But we come back to uh, uh, the material you're going to put in the ground and, and what we're talking about is a little bit off-centre. You don't find it in garden books, but um, I've found out that uh, if you plant, uh, if you've got, say, a rose and you dig three holes around the rose, go down maybe about 20 centimetres and uh, they're probably uh, only about 5 centimetres wide and you mix up a mixture of compost, well good quality compost and you, I would be putting in uh, maybe up to a third of a cup of iron chelates to each little hole. That's quite a lot, but what you do is you mix up the iron chelates with the compost and stick that in the hole and then bury it <laughs> because it's, uh, the iron is, is uh, protected by the compost. The roots can get in there, get the iron and transfer it to the rose and you don't have to keep on spraying. But, uh, yeah, um, it, it's hard to put on too much, but uh, I think around about a third of a cupful would be ideal. Thank you. And this time of year, okay? Oh, yes, Other absolutely, I do. May only spring. Yeah, no, no, do it now. Um, and mm. uh, that should keep you going with iron for the plant for at least two or three years. And if uh, the iron problem uh, turns up, the leaves start to go yellow again, you could repeat that particular thing. Uh, just on okay. roses, Deb, uh, many people uh, will love roses in autumn and want a, a, a nice display now normally we would get rains round about now and that stimulates rose bushes into new growth and on the new growth you get uh, nice flowers but it's been so dry and if you look at many gardens particularly gardens that have to look after themselves don't get watered regularly you'll find that the, the rose bushes are looking pretty scungy i think is probably a good word to describe them and we're not going to get soaking rains according to darren Ray. So if you want a reasonable display of roses in autumn, water your roses this weekend or very, very soon and soak the root system. Put on at least 20 litres per rose bush, maybe more for the first watering, and then each week put on 20 litres if you want a reasonable kind of a display in autumn. Well, thanks, Anna Lee, for calling in. Yes, thank you. Appreciate that, John. Uh, just on the issue of the weather and the wind, a, a non-gardening perspective, John, Steve from Hindmarsh Island says, there's been very poor windsurfing at Goolwa for the last two years. Very few decent southwest winds. La Nina has given southeast and northeast winds, which are terrible for sailing, uh, and nowhere near the high wind level. Lovely weather, but terrible or no windsurfing, sadly. All depends on your point of view, doesn't <laughs> it, does, it? And for service, it? yeah, I feel sorry for you because it's been windy, but the wind's in the wrong direction. And from the gardening point of view, it hasn't been either, hasn't been too good either. Exactly. And Dave from Mount Pleasant on garlic, John says, um, I always uh, grow my garlic from, get it from diggers, and I do freeze the purple garlic, which is good. Yes. And just be aware that uh, there are now uh, at least one major uh, supplier of garlic 
cloves down in the southeast. He produces a wonderful quality uh, seed and a number of different varieties. So not all garlics are the same. You can get lots of different flavours and, uh, and it's worth trying uh, uh, two or three and, and find out what are your favourite garlics. But you'll find those appearing in, uh, in garden centres in little, little cell packs, you know, little cellar mm. packs. And there's probably about 20 cloves in, in a little pack, which is ideal for setting you up. And just mention, uh, it's worthwhile. Next week's Good Gardening newsletter will have a special feature on garlic, growing garlic, in terms of getting it growing, getting it established, and uh, we'll follow that up later in the season. We'll know well on harvesting. There's two things, is getting them going, and the other one is, is collecting them and harvesting and storing. But uh, next week's gardening, uh, Good Gardening will feature garlic. Wonderful. Uh, call in on 1300 222891 to speak to John. This is Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide. Of course, we'll be speaking to our edible garden specialist, Stephen Hoffner, very shortly. Uh, but right now, let's go to Grange. Doreen, you have got a fig question. Welcome. I've been waiting for my figs to get right. They're in a... It's on a small bush and it's actually in a one of those um, big um, pots. And it's started... It's got the figs and some of them very small but they're ripening three at a time and and I have to wait and the three will ripen and get fat and have beautiful scent. It's a green skin and the red flesh and it's been really sweet when I wait long enough and keep it watered. So my my first lot, if you if you just leave them on they seem to develop, but slowly and in small batches. So I'm hoping that I'll get a, a big lot later in the season. And the other thing is that a friend gave me a tigerilla tomato yes. plant. Lovely one. Which is, it is. Yes. And it's got clumps of the tomato, the, and it's still green and stripy, and it's over two metres high going up under the salon and I pick them when they will just turn gently then it comes off in my hand but it's still bright green and I put them in the window and they've been going beautiful orange and it's a lovely tasting tomato if I wait long enough. Doreen, that's a lovely little description mm. of what's happening with, uh, first of all, your figs. And uh, certainly yeah. there, uh, it's a matter of all things come to those that wait. And uh, yeah. y- you just need to be patient. With, yeah. uh, with figs, uh, they are sun lovers. And uh, yeah. as I mentioned earlier on, the season is, is later than normal, probably about three weeks later. And yeah. people that have got tomatoes will say, what's wrong with my tomatoes? They're not ripening and they're not growing as normal. Normally, and it's all to do with the weather. And but if you wait long enough, the tomatoes will ripen, your figs will ripen, mm. and uh, if you've got a lot of figs mm. there, and there's sort of a lot of small ones, maybe just reducing the number of figs in the clusters from three down to two, or maybe even one if you've got lots of them, um, you'll get. Mm. Uh, bigger and and uh, uh, maybe if you wanted to just get a little bit of uh, uh, sulfate of potash or just get a, a good fertilizer for fruit and vegetables 
is usually mm. high in potash. That just might help mm. things along a little bit. And in terms of your uh, your uh, cherry tomatoes, I think people that have got cherry tomatoes will they'll be the ones that'll be boasting later in the season, Deb, when it's winter and yeah. everybody's tomatoes are finished, and people are saying, "Oh, I'm still picking my cherry tomatoes," and that's one of the big advantages of cherry tomatoes. They're tougher, yeah. uh, they're delicious, <laughs> and obviously, uh, Doreen, you're thoroughly enjoying t- Tigarella. Yes, but they're about golf ball size when they'll just come off in your hand, and they still feel quite firm, but if you put them in in the window ledge, you know, they, they will ripen. They ripen up, yeah. That's the really nice, thing, delicious. nice thing about tomatoes, yeah. yep, yep, and I think you must be a yep. good gardener there, Doreen. Well, the figs, I had about 100 on that bush last year <laughs> well, there on we the are. second crop. Yes. And, and this lot's only got about 20, but they're coming up and they're just ripening in three. Yes, wow, okay. Well, just bear, be aware that next year you'll probably have a very big crop, so reduce the load of next year so that you get a nice even-sized crop both years. Fantastic. Thanks very much, Doreen. Uh, Dorothy is in Port Pirie. You want to plant some pines, Dorothy? Oh, good morning. Um, I've got two pots and they get the morning sun and they're half a metre tall by 23 centimetres wide and I've got geraniums in them that are not doing very well and I was just hoping to put in some um, miniature pencil pines and I'm wondering what sort of variety or if they'd grow all right in pots? Uh, yes, if, if it's a miniature and it stays small, they'll grow into... Uh, 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 well, I won't say a small pot, they'll need uh, to probably be repotted as as the plant grows. You need to increase the size of the container. Is the container something that uh, you can't change that? or? Well, I really wanted to keep them this skinny and they're half a metre tall and I just thought... Uh, pen- if it was a pencil pine that could last there for a few years. <laughs> so it's half a metre tall, how wide? Um, 23 centimetres at the top and then it narrows down a bit at the bottom and they're black. Right, uh, well, I think you'd have a pencil pine for the first two or three, maybe five years and then eventually, (laughs) depending on the kind of pot you will, it'll burst the pot open because of the root system or else uh, the the plant will just uh, start to do nothing. It'll stop growing because its root system would have filled up the container with roots and there'll be no soil, not enough moisture, not enough nutrients. And uh, so if you wanted even a miniature, you would probably need something that has got at least probably... uh, um, 10, 15, and maybe 20 litres of potting mix. 20 litres of potting mix. Mm. Okay, and because um, I've got geraniums in there and they're not doing very well and they're pretty hardy. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's, uh, you're not overwatering them, I hope. Oh, it could be. Yeah. <laughs> the Achilles <laughs> heel of geraniums. Mm. Yeah. Anyhow, I might put the pencil pines in. They might see me out. I'm not young. Give it a go, Dorothy. See yes. how you go. I mean, right. one thing you could do, Dorothy. Okay, that's yeah. the size container you've got, and you don't want to. You want to keep it growing in that container. So after four or five years, once it's 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 obviously slowed down, uh, take it out of its container and prune the root system. Uh, don't give it a short back and sides, but if you trim the root system up so that uh, uh, when you put it back, there's still potting mix for the roots to grow into, you'll find that it's a bit like growing a little bonsai. And so you have your own little mini bonsai. I hope it goes well for you, Dorothy. Thank you for the call. Jan is in Belair with a mushroom um, dilemma. Hello, Jan. 
Hi, yeah, it is a bit of a dilemma. Um, I've just planted a new viburnum hedge. It's replacing some really giant fetinias that we had cut down and the stumps were ground out. So the fetinias have been in for a couple of months and they're doing really well. I've got little shrublers watering them and they're um, looking really healthy. But in the last week or so, I've just got these giant crops of mushrooms that have come up around the base of each one and they're just almost smothering up to the to the trunks of these little um, viburnum and I'm wondering whether they're a good thing or a bad thing. Should I be removing them or do they just help break down all of the organic matter in the soil? Yes, what you're seeing is nature at work. You've got organic matter in the soil and these are the little fruiting bodies. Uh, they mm. And they'll keep on uh, sending up and they'll produce spores. The spores will go back down. You'll get more <laughs> mushrooms growing and that will continue until they've broken down the organic matter to a certain extent. And then there'll be other little critters and other sort of uh, um, planty type materials that'll continue to break down the material that's in the soil. Um, I wouldn't be at all worried about it. If you haven't got little dogs that might want to munch them? No, no, no. Got no. cats, but they they don't go near them. No, um, I, so I, they're they're helping men rather than hindering. Yeah, if you if it worried you, just get a rake and knock them off, and, and just just mm -hmm. make them part of the mulch system. But more will okay. grow. Uh, I, from my point of view, I would just uh, have a look at them, sort of say, righto, that makes a good photo. I'll take that and stick that on my files. Okay, I'll do that. <laughs> Thanks, Jan. Lovely to hear from you. Uh, well, it is autumn. We have spoken to Darren Ray this morning. And, of course, as you said, John, the soil is still quite warm at the moment. Yes, and many people would like to take full advantage of that. And they hear... Uh, often uh, it's autumn, the ground is warm, start, start growing your winter veggies now. So let's take a look at why and the benefits uh, of uh, that's available if you do that now. Uh, Stephen Hoffner, is, uh, he runs a wagtail urban garden and uh, I describe him as a, an edible garden specialist. He gives lots of talks uh, and he, he uh, runs uh, uh, workshops for community gardens and he helps people set up gardens and he does garden maintenance and he's just the ideal person to talk vegetables. So good morning to you Stephen. Good morning John, good morning Deb. So why would you recommend that people take advantage of the fact that it's now autumn and start planting winter and spring vegetables. Yeah, it's it's um, it's always tempting to you know try and eke out a little bit more you know a few more um, tomatoes or, or you know hope that those pumpkins are going to ripen, uh, especially when it's lovely days like it is today and it's warm. Um, but what we forget is that the daylight hours are slowly shortening, and plants are really sensitive to that. They they're really aware of. You know, their little leaves are sensing how, mi how much daylight there is every day and, and they start, you know, shutting down, um, you know, finishing off their growing. And um, whereas plants that grow through the winter, um, obviously they're um, more attuned uh, to those conditions. But if we plant them in wintertime when the soil is cold, we, you know, plants are little chemical factories and, and we all remember from science we'd, we'd um, enhance chemical reactions by using a Bunsen burner. It's exactly the same with plants in the soil. They need that warmth to get all those functions going. And so to get established, get healthy, get strong, and then have enough <clears throat> resources to survive through the you know darkest, coldest parts of winter, they need to be established early. 
Okay, so uh, right now soils are 20, 21, 22 degrees, deliciously warm. If we wait till the end of May, they'll be down to 14 degrees. And I often say, look, uh, uh, plant while it's warm. From a plant's point of view, what happens if you plant now versus if you plant in May? Yeah, so if you plant now, um, you know, there might be still a couple of heat spikes, but they'll, they'll... They'll tolerate that. They'll get through it. Um, in the meantime, they're sending their roots down. They're getting a good root structure. Um, that taproot is finding good, you know, soil moisture, giving the plant confidence. Uh, and they'll just be growing more leaves and collecting more sunlight, you know, making more sugars and um, and just getting a really good jump start. Whereas if you, if you plant them in May, which is, you know, I, I remember doing that when I first started out. And, um, you know, then you'd have these, you know, little sad cauliflowers sitting there all through winter and then when spring comes they form this tiny little head that you know it doesn't really form properly and you know, you know, I always feel bad about being such a, a black thumb but realize if you just rip out a couple of tomatoes get your collies in early uh, they get established they're really healthy they survive winter they start forming that head and then you put that beautiful big head of cauliflower that you can show to all your friends you know absolutely yes so it comes down to uh, roots the size of the roots the more roots and uh, the bigger the roots are early in the season uh, the better crops you have later in the season so let's yep. now focus uh, if we may Stephen on what to plant what are the ones that are going to respond to the fact that the ground is a little bit warmer and so, so uh, vegetables that are productive so they're worth putting in now and 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 they'll be mature probably in the middle or late of winter when the price of vegetables in the green grocer's shops and the supermarkets will be sky high and you can say ha 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 i grew them myself it's amazing how much uh, veggie prices have gone up lately um, yeah, I, all of the brassicas, um, you know, I keep mentioning cauliflower. I really love it. It's such, um, you can do so many different things with that vegetable. But yeah, all the brassicas, um, broccoli especially, um, cabbages, um, or oh, Brussels sprouts. The wind, there's actually a window for planting Brussels sprouts to get them to form and it, and it is now and, and it's starting to close because, um, they have to be established. They have to have that height, uh, and all those leaves to produce the little sprouts. So, you know, you want to get your Brussels sprouts in now. You don't want to do it in April. Um, uh, all of the Asian greens, um, bok choy, tatsoi, um, mustard greens, rocket, all those sorts of salad things, endive, or endive as they pronounce it here. Um, all those, you know, and, and lettuce is perfect time. You can grow lettuce all year round, but growing it right now, you're going to get the best tasting lettuce because the cool weather, that's the other thing, cold weather, when the, when the cold weather hits, plants convert uh, their starches into sugars, and so you get a much sweeter flavour. Yes. Um, that's another thing with kale. A lot of people don't like kale because they never picked it on a cold morning when it's um, <laughs> at its sweetest. Um, fennel, uh, carrots are a really good one now. Um, a lot of people plant carrots in the wintertime. Um, you know, it's easy because there's more soil moisture and you get better germination from the seed. But if you plant them now, they get that taproot down, and um, and then they hold over winter. So you've got a fully grown carrot, and you, and you can pick them all through winter and, and then they start sort of growing again in spring uh, and, and you get a very extended harvest. 
All right, can we come back to um, the beginning of your list? You mentioned cauliflowers. And now it's possible to have uh, cauliflowers in which have these great big heads on them. They're a bit slow growing, but there are different sizes and you can buy a mini cauliflower or a mini cabbage. Are they worth growing? I think in, um, especially in like, um, say, raised beds, uh, wicking beds, um, anywhere you've got limited space, they're a really good option. Um, you know, and the flavour is amazing. You know, they're some of the really good tasting ones too. Okay, and uh, preparing the ground, I guess that's pretty important before you get going. Yeah, I think I heard you talking about um, prepping the soil uh, previously. Um, my my advice is always make sure you give them the nutrients that they're going to require. Um, you know, uh, lots of people use blood and bone. Um, I make up my own fertilizer, but um, you know, as long as they've got a decent amount of fertility in the soil and then compost, I heard you mention uh, rotted animal manures as well. And uh, you said something very important, loosening the soil. Um, it's critical. We forget that soil becomes compacted. You know, we, we just look at it and we don't see any difference. But um, if you can get your garden fork into the soil and... and I always imagine the soil is breathing. I push the garden fork in and I lean it back about 30 degrees. I don't turn the soil over. I just, like you said, loosen it. Um, and that, just doing that action all, all through the veggie patch where you're planting, um, it allows the, the roots of the plants to get through. It's, 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 the soil's softer. It, it makes it easier for you know, the mechanical action of the roots to penetrate accessing moisture and nutrients. Yes, good, sound, reliable information from somebody who grows vegetables extremely well and is happy to share that information. Uh, Stephen, uh, uh, thank you very much for your information this morning. Pleasure. Pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Stephen. Always a pleasure to have you on. We very much appreciate your advice. So Stephen Hoffner, uh, edible garden specialist, as we like to nominate him. Uh, if you have not won anything from the ABC in the last month and you would like to win an ABC Gardening Australia magazine and you can answer this question, who is on the front cover <laughs> of the March ABC Gardening Australia magazine? Call now on one three hundred triple two eight nine one. Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Um, thank you very much for calling in. Anne is in Morfitt Vale and wants to prune a hedge. Hello, Anne. A short little golden privet in, in a, it's in a hedge. So I don't know what to do with the prunings. If they're green, I don't think they should go anywhere but in the compost or so anywhere but the bin. But if they're dried out can they go back in the compost well i have marayas on either side of the house and they get clipped three times a year and there's a fair amount of clippings and you know what i do with them they go back underneath the hedge i haven't got room for that (laughs) oh okay well Right, okay. I mean, if you wanted to put them, they, any kind of organic material, clippings, uh, prunings, can be chopped up and just uh, used as mulch. And uh, we usually, if you've got a hedge, you know, you've got sort of a, some kind of a canopy that you can put the material under and it just keeps yeah. on getting recycled. And I've never had to put fertiliser on my marea simply because okay. uh, you recycle. But so, um, yeah, yeah, you can put them into the compost. Uh, I certainly okay. don't put them into the green waste bin. Um, if you're concerned about uh, uh, whatever you don't do, don't dig them into the soil. Uh, they need to oh. be composted before you actually use them. 
Uh, so okay. if you're going to put them on the soil, let them dry down and go and break down naturally. Uh, if you put them into compost, well, that's a different matter. They'll break down that's very, very quickly. Of. Yeah, because I know anything like pine needles and that are no good to put in composts. Yeah, well, a little bit of pine needles will break down. It's just a matter of quantity. Uh, if you're making compost, say 10% pine needles, it won't go astray. Very good. Oh, okay. All right. So I can, even though they're now dried, I can just dump them on top of the garden. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. I don't even wait for them to dry. <laughs> so oh, okay. so Gary the gardener comes in, uh, <laughs> he does the trimming, and I say, leave it, leave the mess there, uh, Gary, and I get my big yard broom out and just go sweep, sweep, and they're all gone underneath <laughs> where they came from. Okay, shall do. Easy Thank peasy. You. Thanks, Anne, for the call. Congratulations to Julie, uh, Julia from Glen Osmond and Michael from Lockleys, who correctly answered that the whole Gardening Australia TV team is on the front of the ABC Gardening Australia magazines. We'll get those sent out to you. Rob is in Hackham. Now, Rob, you want to use some wicking beds? Uh, we help uh, run a community garden which has seven wicking beds, and we're very impressed with them, uh, John. And they seem excellent for South Australian climate. Um, I just wondered if at some point you should have somebody come onto, onto your program and describe them uh, and uh, promote them. Oh, uh, yes. That, well, uh, we sort we've of... We've done that we many slot, a time. We slot uh, wicking beds in at least three times a year, but uh, it's probably a good time. Autumn is a good time to do that. And, uh, yeah, the, the, the advances in wicking beds, what's available in terms of making it very, very, very simple. Uh, you can assemble it, the thing yourself, and uh, uh, the benefits of growing uh, vegetables in particular from wicking beds is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, so. well, thanks, Rob. We'll pop that one back on the agenda for coming weeks and months. Daniel? is in Darren Park. Daniel, you've got a question about your juvenile eucalyptus. Yeah. Uh, hi, John. Um, so, yeah, I've got a uh, juvenile eucalyptus that's been growing in a pot and it's grown towards the sun because where it was situated was underneath another tree. Yes. Um, it's about three or four metres high. I'm just wondering if I repot that and... Should I prune it to no more than one third of the foliage um, or can I just basically cut it off at the trunk where it's straight um, to try and make it grow straight again? Interesting concept. Uh, so you've got a, a eucalypt in a container, so you want it as an ornament rather than sort of something that's going to grow and give you shade in the garden. Yeah, I just want to keep it in a pot. Yeah. But um, you know not what, to what, go on an angle. Yeah. Do you know what variety of eucalypt it is? I think it's. I think it's a Camaldulensis, or I'm not 100 <laughs> percent sure. Uh, right. Uh, they don't come much bigger than a Camaldulensis a River yeah. Red Gum. Right. Well, um, I think it, 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 it's an ornament, so uh, you can cut it back. And uh, that what you need to do is not let it have one great big long uh, centre uh, stem. You can cut it back, and uh, if you wanted to, you can cut it back by two-thirds. It would come into very, very extremely strong growth. If you First of all, uh, take it out of its container and put it into a bigger container and go up sort of uh, twice the size, no more than twice the size of the existing one, and you can keep on moving up into bigger containers, uh, but don't put a small pl 
pot, uh, go from a small pot into a very, very large one. But if you do it in increments, not a problem. So I would be repotting. Um, if the roots are going around the root ball, it's essential that you remove the material that's going round the centre. And I need to do a session on uh, uh, root problems uh, because uh, of so many plants are being uh, ornamental plants uh, after 10 years of growth they, they they get destroyed and you go back you dig them out and the roots are going round and round in circles still because they came out of the pot that way mm -hmm. so uh, remove the roots going around the circle and then you decide what kind of a shape you want the harder you cut it back the more vigor you'll get and the more you'll have to cut it back uh, probably I think cutting it back by about a third to start with that will encourage new growth growth from lower down and then when that new growth is starting to put on reasonable growth take the tips out and if you tip prune often you'll end up with a nice compact rounded eucalypt rather than a great big uh, river red gum that's probably more at home uh, next to a river. <laughs> Thanks very much, Daniel. Good luck with that. Thank you to all of you for your lovely calls and texts. Haven't got to read them all, but Alan from Hendon loving his strawberries and David from Cainton living, uh, loving his tsunami of tomatoes. So thank you very much for those. Yes, it really is a wonderful time to be in the garden. All things can be planted, and I think I'll get into my own garden and do a little bit of gardening as well until next week. Gardening, 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 good gardening.